0: Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. All right, guys, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 4. We're in the
1: Gospel of John. We are looking at the account that John gives us of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman. Now, we talked about that last week, about how Jesus had a divine appointment, about how he, he did the unusual thing of going through Samaria on his way to Galilee, because most Jews in that day wanted to avoid all contact with Samaritans, so they would take the long way around Go across the Jordan, up through Perea, and then back over into Galilee to avoid any contact with Samaritans. And here's Jesus. He is going to Samaria, stops at Jacob's well near Sychar, and he's the one who's initiating a conversation with this woman. And last week we saw that he's offering her living water, salvation. So we stopped because... She asked for it, but she doesn't understand. So this week, we're going to continue on. We're going to look at verses 16 through 26. Now, what we're going to see happening today, sometimes we misunderstand. What do you mean we misunderstand? Because Jesus is going to reveal something about this woman. Now, typically, when I have heard this kind of message, message from this passage before, we we tend to focus on the woman's issue. But what I want to tell you today is I don't want you to focus there. He's going to mention it. He's going to talk about what her issue is. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But the main emphasis of what's going on here and why he brings the issue up, because there's a reason why he brings it up. He wants her to understand who he is. That's really what's going on here in this passage. Jesus wants us to understand who he is that's why we're doing this study through john remember i told you that we got these wrong concepts that we develop over time about who god is and let me explain something to you today in our culture it is very often the thought that god is a big meanie that god wants to punish everyone so much so that he he, as a big abusive dad he punished his own son by killing him on the cross you say, really? Yes, you would be surprised by that attitude that is out there right now. It is becoming prevalent. And that's because, in some ways, that's what we portray today in the church. Hopefully that's not what we're doing in our church, but there are churches that are portraying that. Because what we focus on is we tend to focus on people's sin. But I want you to notice how Jesus deals with this issue. And and this will help us to be honest with you, this will help us to understand who Jesus is. I think sometimes that's what's missing in church today. We get so caught up in the routine and the ritual and the music and and all of the functions and everything that we forget who Jesus is. We we forget the impact of who Jesus is. And I think that's what's missing today in church. If If you ask the typical person, And if you were to ask them about church, here's what they say, why would I go in there? The place would fall down. Ever had somebody tell you that? Because what they think of church is, is that churches can't handle what they've done. What you're going to see today is a Jesus who can handle it. And that's why we're doing this study through John, is to get to know him again, and hopefully rekindle, and for some, maybe even spark a love for Jesus. Did you understand what I'm saying? So let's look at the passage together. We're going to start off at verse 16. Here's what John records. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me that the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for the salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. now here's what we're going to do, folks. I've entitled this message, He Knows You. I think that's so important as we begin to look at this passage that you and I really grasp that. He tells Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He knows you intimately. He knows everything about you. He knows, are you ready for this? He knows your sins. Now, why is this important? Because this is what he's trying to tell this woman. Remember he said last week, if you knew the gift, which is salvation, and the one who asks, the one who gives, you would ask him for the water. So he's at this point now, he's explained to them that I have living water to give you. Now he's trying to get her to understand who's offering. Who's the giver? And this is the point that we're going to see here in this passage, okay? So yes, he's going to bring up something about our life, but I need to explain that to you because we often read scripture through our 21st century viewpoint. So let's take a look. We're going to look, first of all, at what he knows, and then he's going to divert it to the whole issue of true worship. What he knows, let's look verse 16 through 18. Here's what John writes. So they just had this discussion about living water. She says, I want this water so I don't have to draw water anymore. So Jesus, I think he understands she's not grasping it. She's not grasping what he's offering. She's not grasping who he is. So he says to her, look at verse 16, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. All right, let me just stop rolling, because we were like, five husbands, and she's living with a dude? Now, think about it, I'm talking about messages sometimes I heard 30 years ago, that's scandalous. And I guess in some ways it is, right? But let me explain to you the culture. I want you to understand, marriage, where they were at, is completely different than what happens here. What do you mean? Here, we have something called dating. Do you understand what dating is? Dating is that emotional experience that you have where you're trying to find a spouse. And so you have good dates, and you have bad dates. And then finally, you find that person, and you make that decision, and you get married. Okay, And, and then everybody's like, ooh, yeah, celebration, money spent. Wow, you're married. That's our culture. Let me explain their culture. I'm a dad. I've got a daughter. Oh, she's getting to be that age. It's time for her to get married. All right, uh, Foster, you're the oldest. You need to find Madison a husband. That's how they did it. The oldest son would find the daughters a bridegroom. Okay, let's go negotiate. You found somebody. Yeah, there's this guy over here. Uh, He's just across the line over in Jefferson County. He's got, oh, Dad, he's got a big farm. All right, let's go negotiate. How are we going to do this? We'll negotiate a little bit. Yeah, she's a great gal. She can cook. She can sew. So you make the arrangement. They don't even meet. Are you hearing me? Then you go through all the festivities, and they consummate the marriage, and they're married. Now let me add to that, we live in a structure of laws here. So marriages fail, right? Marriages fail, so there is divorce. With that in our culture, in our society, with a lot of societies around, you've got to go through some sort of divorce. Divorce was a little bit different there because divorce was simply, I divorce you, get out of here. And where does she go? Back to her parents. So guess what happens? The whole process starts all over again. They find her a husband. Now, with this woman, she's had five husbands. And so now, probably at this point, maybe there isn't somebody to find her, another one, so she's with another guy. Do you understand? Now, why would this be important? Because, look, folks, if she didn't, it's a male-oriented society. If this didn't happen, she more than likely would starve to death. So Jesus says, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And And listen, look at how he responds. You have well said. This is your situation and you have spoken truthfully. Now here's what I want to point out to you. Here's, this, here's the thing I want you to see. Here's the first one. Jesus does not accuse or excuse as he points out what he knows about her. I want you to look at that. I want you to look at the passage. If you're like, ah, I don't know if I agree with that, George. Look at the passage. He's not accusing her or excusing her. That Sometimes, can I be honest with you? I think today in church we've got this concept that We've got to point out everybody else's stuff. Really? Isn't it interesting that in all the stuff we're pointing out, we're not pointing out our own. And let's wake up to the reality. We have our own, right? And Jesus is not doing that here. See, I think sometimes who is giving God the bad rap are the followers of Jesus. It's not the people who are making the accusations. What they know about from God is is what they're getting from us. Jesus isn't accusing or excusing what's going on with her because this is not about what her do you understand remember the point what jesus is going to do here is he's wanting her to understand the gift and the one who gives it he's wanting to understand about who she is do you understand what i'm saying this is what's going on here all right so the second thing i want you to see is jesus is showing her that he knows everything about her all right i want you to think for a moment All right, remember, Jews avoided Samaria. They go around Samaria. They avoid contact. Here's this woman. She's doing her daily thing, going and getting water. Water either for the animals that she's tending to or water for the home to be able to cook and so forth. She probably made that trip several times a day. She goes up there. She sees this Jew sitting there, and he says to her, Give me water. And at first, that's a shocking thing. Why would a Jew talk to me? And then as she's interacting, this Jew now knows everything about her. That would be like, okay, so today, after we're done with our service, some of y'all are going to head to a restaurant in town. You're going to sit there. And somebody came off of 80, maybe from California, heading to New York. And he walks over and says, hi, how's that thing you're going through today? And you never met him. You saw the California tags on his plate when he drove into the parking lot. And you're like, how did you know that? He's showing her, I know everything about you. I know everything. Man, we gotta wake up to that reality, folks. God knows everything about you. Listen, I I want you to hear me. Here's the third point. The purpose in doing this is to reveal who he really is. You and I... Need to understand that when we talk about jesus and the fact that he knows us intimately we sometimes can i be honest with you i get this way we sometimes get to a place where we think that he doesn't know certain things about us and what he doesn't know about us is the stuff that isn't right about us but he knows it so can i set you free he's not engaged in the world stuff And then turns around and looks and sees, oh, well, there's George. Are you kidding me? He did that? That's not God. Now, we act that way. But he knows me. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is that he still loves us. Do you understand what I'm saying? He still cares for us. He still reaches out. He is not shocked by your sin. Do you understand, folks? He was there from the beginning when Adam and Eve fell. He knew how humanity changed at that moment to where every living creature after that would have a bent towards sinning, and they would sin. And because of his love for us, he sent his son Jesus to die for us to save us from ourselves. Not just from hell. And so when he reveals our stuff to us, whether it's through the conviction of the Holy Spirit or whatever, it's because he's revealing who he is to us. And that he loves you and he forgives you. And that he will help you. This is what he's revealing to this woman. This is, this is why the interaction. He is wanting her to understand, whoa, somebody different's talking to me right now. And he's not accusing or excusing. Because notice, I mean, look at it. If you read the passage, he commends her for telling the truth. That's who our Jesus is. So then, of course, now some scholars through the years, and I've heard some preachers say, well, she had to divert the discussion. No, she didn't have to divert the discussion because Jesus isn't there to talk about her stuff. Jesus is there to talk about what? worshiping him salvation so what does she do she says sir i perceive you are a prophet now let me explain something to you in the old testament you will see prophet and seer both used synonymously why she's figuring out this guy's somebody special here so he's either a seer because he knows everything or a prophet i perceive you are a prophet so then what does she do she asks a question Now, where did this question come from? Well, it's actually, to be honest with you, as I was doing the study, it was a pretty prevalent question in that day because the Samaritans wanted to know where should they worship. Their elders, their leaders said, worship on the mountain there in Samaria. The Jews said, worship in Jerusalem. In fact, it's interesting, in Josephus' accounts of the history of that time, he records an incident where there was a debate before the Roman procreator concerning this very question about where to worship. And so the Samaritans presented their case, the Jews presented their case, the Samaritans lost. And in the rules of debate that day, isn't it interesting how we've changed debate rules? See if this would work in a presidential election. They killed the loser. We wouldn't have any more debates in our society, would we? You know? So she asks a question because she's really interested. Where do we worship? So Jesus then launches into the discussion about true worship, and that's where we're gonna spend the rest of our time. So listen to me. Here's the first one. Look with me at verse 19 to 20. The woman said, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So here's what I want you to see. We live in a world that sees worship in terms of a place or an experience you got to admit that right it's true today in our church we see worship as a place so for a lot of people and maybe it's some of you 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 think of worship as I come to Kerwinsville Christian Church and when you talk to somebody else about worship they'll say to you typically you need to come to my church isn't that my church and experience the worship what that means is come to my church listen to the music That's the way we are as humans. In her day, the Samaritans got to worship on the mountain. Now, why on the mountain? Well, because there was a temple that was built on that mountain that the Jews destroyed in 150 BC. And so when Herod the Great came along and he he redid the temple for the Jews, he built another temple for them, but somewhere else. And the Samaritans refused to go to the new temple. They kept worshiping on the mountain because that was the sacred place for them. And and that's the way we are. You know, I, I've had people who say, oh, George, i want to try your church. I'm going to come to your church. And they'll come. They've come here. Nobody else knew they were coming. I knew they were coming. They came. They'd either sit there or they'd sit, you know, and, and then they'd sit for the service. And then afterwards, I'd say, okay, well, how, how did you enjoy your time here? Um. Well you know, your, your message was good, but it just wasn't the same. What, what were they thinking of? Well, with one person, she was remembering when she was 14 years old at a little church somewhere here in a county and what the worship was like there and what she felt at, as a 14-year-old. And so that's what she was hoping when she came back. She would have that same experience. She's not going to find it. Not going to find it. Do you understand? Because every Sunday is different, right? that's where we're at today. And so that's where they were at in that day. So the first thing I want you to see when we talk about true worship is we live in a world that sees worship in terms of a place or an experience. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus is going to point out something to her, okay? And this is true for us as well. Look with me at verse 21. He said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now, here's what he wants you to see. Jesus points out that the woman only has a partial understanding of worship. She's only got a partial understanding. Now, why, why a partial understanding? Again, you would I kind of referred to this last week. The Samaritans only believed the first five books of what we would, what we would call the Old Testament. It's called the Pentateuch. That would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so their understanding of worship only came from those first five books. For the Jew, they had the Pentateuch, but they also had the writings and the prophets. So they had a whole lot more that gave them a more full-orbed understanding of who God is and what God expects. The Samaritans didn't have that. So Jesus is saying, you only have a partial understanding you worship what you do not know. Sounds like a really rude thing to say, but it's basically saying to her you don't really understand what you're worshipping. But the Jews do. For salvation is of the Jews. Why? Because the promise, the promise of the Messiah, the promise of what was to be given in the inheritance, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant was all to be given to who? The Jews. So He goes on then, and he says this, verse 23 and 24. This is what you and I need to understand. Look at what it says here. But the hour is coming. All right, remember, he talked about the hour. The hour is in reference to his what? His crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection. Okay? The hour is coming, and now is. That time is here, Jesus is saying, when true worshippers, will worship the father in spirit and truth for the father is speaking such to worship him God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him must worship in spirit and truth all right now here's what I want you to see true worship happens in spirit and truth now some people will take this to an extreme and say spirit that means you need to manifest certain things no that's not what he's talking about god is a spirit god is not the building do you understand when you come to this building for some of you this is a momentous place because you have history here you have memories but this isn't god do you understand god may have ministered to you here but this is not god god is a spirit so god is spirit which means he's everywhere we all agree with that right he's everywhere So if you're going to worship a spirit, how do you worship him? Jesus is moving away from you need to go here, you need to go here. God, Jesus is wanting us to move to the reality that you have to worship him in spirit. From the inside of who you are. And then the issue is you have to worship him in truth. Now he just told the woman, you don't understand. You have a partial understanding. So he's wanting her to direct to the reality of what the truth is. Is that when you understand the truth then you truly worship. Did you understand what I'm saying? Then you truly worship. So when you worship the Father true worship happens in your spirit and in truth. Let's go on. Here's the next thing he points out. God the Father is seeking those who will truly worship him. Do you want to know what God wants from your life? For some of you, this is going to be a freeing thing. Here's what God wants from you. You think that what God wants for you is for you to deal with that problem and uh, take care of this issue and, and act this way and do all... I mean, we think that way, isn't it? We think that God's expectation for me today is to get control. Where did you get that? He already just revealed he knows everything about you so he knows what you can deal with and what you can't deal with. Do you understand? What is he seeking? Somebody who will truly worship him. He's seeking somebody who will love him. Did you understand? I'll, I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Human, Sometimes I bring the parallelism over to, to parenting, okay? All right, I'm a parent. I have four kids. Some of you are parents. You have kids. Some of you are grandparents. You have grandkids. Some of you have great-grandkids, okay? Are they perfect? No. Are they going to be perfect? Does their perfection determine whether or not you want To spend time with them? No. Yes, you're not happy with their imperfections. But what you're seeking is someone who'll come and sit with you because you love them. And they love you, right? Folks, that is the Lord. He knows you. And what he's seeking is someone who will worship him in spirit and truth. Now, okay, what's this truth thing, George? Uh, Is that where, you know, the dealing with the stuff in my life? No, no, you've got to understand what he means by truth here. Because he's going to reveal it. Actually, the woman's going to reveal it. She understands. It's amazing. The woman is grasping something. So she understands. Here's what she says. Look with me. She says this in verse 25. She understands the truth. Here it is. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. She's understanding what Jesus is saying here, that when you worship him, you worship him in truth. And the woman says, oh yeah, I understand, but he's not here yet. And when he comes, he will tell me the truth and I will know how to worship them. So then notice what Jesus said. Man, this is awesome. He said to her, I who speak to you am he. All right, now... You could let that blow by you if you really didn't think about it for a moment. Can I tell you something? This is the first time in the passage that Jesus comes right out and says he's the Messiah. But here's what I want you to see. It'll blow your mind. Who he said it to. When he talked to the Jews, he kind of alluded to it. He wouldn't come right out and say it, but here he's talking to a Samaritan woman, a woman who's had five husbands and is living with a guy, and here's what he says. The guy who's speaking to you is him. That's Jesus. So here's the point. The truth that brings forth true worship is the reality of Jesus. True worship is not whether or not you're keeping time with the band when they're singing. Do you understand what I'm saying? Whether or not you're looking at the words or singing it from your heart. You know what I'm saying? That's, That's not worship. True worship is Jesus and responding to who Jesus is. Do you understand? Responding to the one who knows you. And remember this.